today's episode is part of a three-part series that I am calling Duty Calls. We're going to be talking about our obligations and duties as Christians. Do we have any? If we do, what are they? How did people in the Bible do them? How will we? (laughs) So we're going to discuss those things and hopefully come to some clear answers as we go through them. Hey, it's Amber L.B. Swenson, wife, mother, worrier, overthinker, type A, holding on to God and his promises to get me through the day. Thanks for joining me to explore everyday issues from a biblical perspective so we can all know and love God more. Um, I just want to let you know, that it's kind of interesting that we are airing this this weekend because I just found out this morning that Prince Philip died. And the reason that I'm doing this series is because I had last year um, watched the Netflix series, The Crown. And one of the things that stood out for to me so much, though, was that um, the queen certainly had this enormous weight of duty on her. And Um, It wasn't just the queen, though. It was Prince Philip, and it was her children and her sister, and everybody had a a set of expectations about how they should act, when they should act, what they should do. There was protocol, 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 and it was just so important that they all learned their protocol, and at, at times, the protocol and the duty that the monarchy in England had to live under was extremely heavy. And so it really made me start thinking about our duty as Christians and how are we to look at it and what should motivate us and how should we respond to the duties that we have and um, where can we go from there. So let's get started. First of all, I want to mention that years ago, um, the first time I really sort of heard something on this topic definitely stuck with me. I heard Dr. James Dobson, there was a recording that Focus on the Family aired that was just extremely um, honest and transparent. And, And it was a very early recording from Dr. James Dobson, where he talked about the difficulty of living the Christian life. And he said, if we're going to be honest, living that Christian life is pretty hard. It's the life of staying in your marriage when marriage isn't fun and raising kids who are suddenly rebellious or um, making the mortgage payment when you really want to go to Hawaii. And Dr. Jobson just said, you know, can we just be honest and say, this isn't easy. At the time, I remember just feeling it was so refreshing to hear that because yes, we want to stay in our marriage and yes, we want to be the best parents we can. And yes, by all means, I want to make the house payment. But you know, especially now with social media, as you see your friends in, uh, you know, different places on the beach, you certainly are tempted. Well, you know, what would we have to do to make that happen? So it's an interesting, um, It's an interesting thing to think about. And Dr. Dobson gave us some reasons why we want to stick with Christian living, even when it's difficult. You know, he said, boy, it certainly offers us stability. It offers our family stability when we stay in the marriage. It offers us stability when we make the house payment. Then we're going to have the house to live in. It's not going to get, you know, taken back. We don't have to move because we haven't paid our bills. 
It's also offering stability to our communities. The more stable our families are, the more that we are going to be able to offer to people in our community who are helpless or not as stable. So we certainly want to, you know, be there and and be in a situation that we can help others. And then, of course, we want to fulfill our obligations to God. So a lot of us got married in a church, and before God, we promised that we would be in it for the long haul. We are going to stay even when it gets hard, you know, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. So we made that promise before God, and we're told in the Bible, you know, don't make a promise if you don't intend to keep it. So we want to take that serious, and, and we want to fulfill our obligations. And in fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The temptation is always going to be to leave the obligations, to do what's fun, to go and appease your sinful nature. Forget about obligations. Forget about duties. We don't want to do that. We just want to go have fun. That is always going to be the temptation. In fact, I was having a conversation with my oldest child a couple weeks ago. We were talking about financing, and this year I got super, super um, strict about our budget just because... Um, you know, it's it became apparent that I wasn't going to go back to my work as an elderly companion. So things are going to change. And so I, I just decided to make every one of our dollars work for us. And every dollar has a place that it's supposed to be. And, and so um, anyway, I was talking with my oldest child about this. And she said, it's funny how you can know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> you know, so you have so many people like Dave Ramsey or um, other financial gurus, they're all over the internet. Um, they tell you, you know, put this percentage in, in your retirement fund and give this percentage to God and and do this and always have this savings and whatever. And you can hear that and you can even think it's good. <laughs> that doesn't mean you're actually going to do it. So, um, you know, Jesus said, look, this it's a narrow road. The, if If very few are doing it, there's a good chance that it might be the right thing to do. And that's something I have to tell my children all the time um, as young adults. Boy, oh, man, it is so easy to get swept into what everybody else is doing. Yeah, everybody else is living with their significant other. Yep. I see how, you know, five out of eight of your friends are doing that. I get that. That doesn't mean it's the best route, nor does it mean the relationship is going to last. It just means it's the wide road. And so just recognize it as that. So do we have a duty as Christians, and do we need to follow certain rules? And let's get to the bottom of that. So first of all, I want to make sure to mention that Jesus hung out with sinners. You know, when he was walking and and through the streets of Nazareth and through the streets of um, Capernaum and all around Judea, you know, we see him meeting and uh eating in the, at the houses of tax collectors who were the swindlers of the day. And he had prostitutes around him and low lives. And in fact, the Pharisees always called him out on it because they were like, how can you even hang out with these people? If you knew what the woman who was touching you had been doing, you would have a fit. And Jesus really didn't shirk back at all. That wasn't a problem for him. Now, just because Jesus hung out with sinners, 
didn't mean that he was a sinner. He, he certainly wasn't. He, in fact, he said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. So Jesus wasn't breaking the rules by being with them. He was just letting them know a different way. And he was showing them that God loved even them. Because the Pharisees, they were trying to live up to rules and expectations and standards in order to earn their way to heaven. And that is a major part of this duty thing. Duty is not how we get salvation. There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. There's no obligation that we can fulfill that can help us to get to heaven. In fact, the jailer in Philippi said to Paul, the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? And the Apostle Paul's answer was, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus did everything. So we there's no duty that we can do to earn our salvation. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have certain duties. So for instance, what are our duties as Christians? Well, we have a duty to stay true to the word of God. God gave us his word. He wrote it. He didn't ask our opinion. He didn't ask if we would like what was written written in it. He didn't even ask if society was going to like it. He wrote his word down for us so we could see the way of blessing, the path of um blessing and doing God's will and living in line with God's will, which by the way, brings us blessing. Over and over we see, listen, if you live this way, boy, you are going to have the peace and you're going to have the joy and the love in your life that you, that you actually want. We'll be back with this episode in just a minute, but first I want to pass along something that might help your faith journey. Mothers in the Bible could give you advice to help you on your parenting journey. That's the premise for my book of Bible studies titled Bible Moms, Life Lessons from Mothers in the Bible. Former Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary President Armin Panning reviewed Bible Moms and had this to say about it. Quote, with the book written for women, I was obviously not the intended audience, but I found the volume very edifying nonetheless. I have no doubt it should prove even more instructive and encouraging for the intended readership." During COVID, my Bible studies via Zoom kept me going. This book is perfect for a mom's group and our featured resource this month. Older women, this would be a perfect time to get a mom's group together and share your insight and encouragement with moms who are in the trenches right now. For more information, go to amberlbswenson.com. Back to today's episode. So we do have an obligation, which is a duty, to stay true to the word. You know, I have to say that there have been so many times that quote-unquote Christians have said things and done things and made statements in obedience to God's word. Now, what does that mean? Are we supposed to keep all the commandments? Of course not. We can't. We can't do that perfectly. Um, Adrian Rogers, who is a, he's a pastor and he had a radio program that I listened to for years and years and years. He said, discipline says I need to, 
Duty says, I ought to. Devotion says, I want to. And this is a really, really important distinction. Discipline comes about as a result of training. So it's the reward versus punishment. When we're disciplined, it means when we do the right thing, we get a reward. When we do the wrong thing, we're punished. And in doing so, we learn how to respond and how to act. So discipline says, I need to do this. If I'm not going to be punished, then I clearly need to do this. Duty says I ought to. And that is knowing what is right and therefore doing what is right because you know what is right. So do we have certain duties as Christians? Turns out we do. Now, devotion is our motivation for wanting to fulfill the duty. So devotion says, I want to do what God would have me do. So that's just a key component is the closer we get to God, the more we fall in love with God. And the more that we see that his ways are not um, for our uh, harm or to keep us from having fun or to keep us from getting the most out of life, then we will, out of devotion, want to fulfill our duty. Duty shows up in how we live. So our love, our devotion for God is going to make us want to fulfill what God has for us. And this really comes out in the book of Ephesians, which was written by the Apostle Paul. So I have been in a Bible study with some wonderful Christian women, and we have really been um, going through the book of Ephesians with a fine-tooth comb. And so I'm just going to read part of Ephesians 5 for you. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul beautifully always reminds us of what our motivation should be. So he tells us our duty is to live a life of love. But why are we going to do that? Just as Christ loved us, because Christ loved us. That is what's motivating us to live as dearly loved children. And he goes on and says, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or impurity or greed, for these are improper for God's holiest people. There shouldn't be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And he goes on and he says a couple verses later, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of God and of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And then he goes on to the part in Ephesians 5 about submitting to one another. And that whole concept of submitting, until I had been in this study, I didn't realize it's really like the military um, word for falling in line. So in the military, there are all sorts of um, different rankings, right? Everybody has their own ranking and they understand 
based on their rank, exactly where they fit in and who they report to. And there is no question about who reports to who because in the military, they understand it completely. Fall into place where you should be. And I love, love, love the way the People's Bible Um, which was written by Armin Panning, which, by the way, I mentioned in uh, earlier as I talked about my book, Bible Moms. But Armin Panning wrote this People's Bible series on um, Galatians and Ephesians. And I'm just going to read a bit to you from the People's Bible book for Ephesians. So he says, Paul has at some length described the life and conduct that our Savior God rightly expects of people who appreciate what his grace has done for them. Theirs will be a life of holiness that in ever greater degree conforms with God's holy, unchangeable will. So the devotion comes from realizing where our salvation comes from and what God has done for us. And that leads us to dutifully live as God would have us live, as Christians who bear his name. Now, to just make this even more clear and to solidify this in your mind, I just want to read to you this this series of paragraphs from the People's Bible that really talks about how this works and and what it means in the Christian life. So first of all, I should mention that um, right after the paragraph that I just read, Paul had mentioned three reasons that we do this. And we do it because we want unity among believers. And we do it to have a morally pure life that blesses us. So we also get blessing from it. But then it's also because we respect the station in life that God has put us in. And so this um, idea of submitting and the duty part, I I just want to read this because I think this is a beautiful illustration of how this can work. It says, all all comparisons limp, but a situation from the sports world can perhaps bring us a step closer to grasping the meaning of submit. Because I just want to (laughs) mention, most of us just sort of bristle when we hear that word. But in truth, this is part of our duty as Christians. Take the case of a pitcher and a catcher on a baseball team. Both are on the same side and have the same objective. Both want to make their contribution to winning the game. But the things they do are quite different. Usually it's the catcher who decides what pitch should be thrown. The pitcher submits to that decision. That doesn't mean he can't ever shake off a pitch or that there might not be an an occasional conference at the mound. But in general, the catcher calls the pitches. Does that mean the catcher is better than the pitcher? Is the pitcher inferior because he submits to the catcher's selection of pitches? Not at all. That's simply the way things work best. They both recognize that each can't be doing his own thing if they want to win the ball game. Somebody has to decide whether a fastball or a changeup is more likely to strike Casey out. It's a matter of assigned roles a designated order of things. That's the essence of team play. So when it comes to this whole concept of duty, it really comes down to the life of sanctification. And I just want to point out that, look, yeah, Jesus did hang out with tax collectors and sinners. But what happened? Well, the tax collectors became his disciples, 
they didn't continue in the life that they were in when they first met Jesus. The prostitutes didn't continue their life of prostitution. That's why the woman was weeping and wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. She was so filled with joy to finally be forgiven. So the life of sanctification is the life that comes after we have that devotion to Christ because we see how much he has done for us. And it's that sanctification, that living out God's will that leads us into this life of duty. And again, I cannot stress this enough. God doesn't want our works that are done simply because we have to. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. I have said it so often at church, especially when working with young people. For years and years and years, I've worked you know, with the Sunday school and VBS and with teens and, and all kinds of young people. And I always say the same thing. You know, anybody who wants to play an instrument in church, you come and find me. We will get together music. Anyone who wants to sing, anyone who wants to do any sort of service at all, come and find me and I will help you find your niche but I won't make you do anything. Even if I know that you can play the trumpet trumpet super well, I'll ask you, can you play on Easter morning? But if you don't want to, please don't. Because God doesn't want our, our service of drudgery. That doesn't mean we don't have duties. That doesn't mean he doesn't want us to use our gifts. He gave us those gifts, which he prepared in advance, so that we could do these good works in his kingdom and among his people and in our community. Having said that, he doesn't want us to use them if we don't want to use them. What has to happen is the change needs to occur in our heart. We have to get that devotion. We have to recognize how much God has done for us. And we have to just fall in love with God. Because as we fall in love with God, our duty will seem like nothing. It reminds me of Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, the yoke he puts on us is is not heavy. It is not a burden that's going to crush us. And what I have learned from years of working in God's kingdom is that God puts that yoke on me because he's going to do the hard work and I'm along for the ride. So I'm going to show up. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm, I'm going to read and I'm going to do the part that I need to do before a study. And then, then I'm attached to him by this yoke because then the Holy Spirit comes and he does his thing, which is a million times better than I could ever do. So I hope that sort of sets the stage. We have a whole lot more to talk about in the next couple of weeks, but I just wanted to start having a conversation about the idea of duty. And I um, I hope that as you think about this, if you have questions, go ahead and reach out. I'd love to have a conversation with you. And I look forward to seeing you next week. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Next week, we're going to continue our series on duty by looking at some of the saints in the Bible who did this really well. 
and who had to do great things for God, even at a cost. Don't forget to go on your favorite podcast forum and rate this podcast and share it with your friends, download it um, so that other people get to know this. Thank you for your prayers. They really keep us going here at Time of Grace as we continue to share the good news about Jesus. Jesus.